Let's pray. Lord, we have cheapened your grace. We have cheapened the cross. We use the cross and those wounds, those iron stakes that went through your hands, your feet. We have used your wounds as a license to sin as a license to be comfortable, as a license to be lazy. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking that we could do anything short of what Jesus says to this very rich young man giving up everything everything and Lord it's not as if we don't get all in return it's not as if we don't get all of you in return your word says that over and over that you're our portion the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 all is yours And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, I pray today with this incredibly confrontive story. This, it, it means what it means. It says what it says. Unless you give all, unless you sell everything you have and pick up your cross and follow me, it says what it says, Lord. Don't let us... Lord, interpret this in any other way than the plain wording, Lord. You are worth it. You gave your all. You plucked us out of hell. Can we not now give up everything for you? Lord, we have fallen so abundantly short of that. By your spirit and by your grace. And I, I, I speak and pray firstly for my own heart, Lord. God, that we would just lay it all up and bow down in our hearts to you, Lord, today. And I pray this for our church and every church, Lord, where the word is being declared from the pulpit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So it says in... We begin here in verse 17 of the book of Mark. Jesus drawing closer to the cross. It says, now as he was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him. And asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? This is an extraordinary scene. We know this is a, a very rich man. We know that from verse 22, which 
says that he had great possessions, but we also know that this from the book of Luke, which says quite plainly, he was very rich. We also know from Luke that he was young. He was a young, very rich man. And so here in verse 17, you see a young, very rich man running. That in itself is a a strange scene. You see him kneeling in front of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he wants to know how to get eternal life. This verse is similar to another verse in Acts chapter 16, verse 29 and 30, where it says of a jailer, a man in charge of a jail that the apostle Paul was in prison in, it says that then he ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Acts 16, 29 and 30. Trembling, He said, what must I do to be saved? It's really the same question. The, the very rich man here in Mark chapter 10, what must I do to have eternal life? The jailer in Acts 16, what must I do to be saved? The story here in Mark 10 is about What needs to happen for you to be saved? How are you saved? That's what this story is about. It does beg the question, saved from what? (laughs) Saved from what? You know, there's a lot of ridicule of Christians. Uh, Actually, Even sometimes there's a lot of ridicule by many people who call themselves Christians of other Christians. They think you have to be saved. (laughs) There's a lot of ridicule about this. But there's really nothing funny about it at all. Because Romans chapter 5 verse 9 says this, We shall be saved, meaning those who are saved, from God's wrath through Jesus. God's wrath, his punishment. There is a God, and he is holy, and he's not happy. The world's in a lot of trouble. The city is in a lot of trouble for substituting God for ourselves, I want to call my own shots. I want to decide what is right and wrong. I want to be my own God. The wrath of God because of ignoring God. The wrath of God because of thinking about God and, 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 and just shrugging, shrugging your shoulders, whatever. I'm sure in the end he'll let me and everyone into heaven. The wrath of God for the shaking of the fists at God, like many do every day. Some of you in this room do that. The wrath of God for running from God, for trying everything but God, 
to try to run your life. Oh, how the world needs the salvation of God. I was reminded this of uh, late last night, early this morning. I was out just here uh, a little while away, a little ways away from here on a prayer walk at about midnight. And on the same walk, I encountered two young ladies in different places, just lying on the ground, appearing to be drunk. I tried to help them, both of them. Both of them wanted to be left alone. It made me sad. It made me frightened for their souls, trying everything but God. There are a lot of parties in my neighborhood at that time, and and, and the sounds of the weekend night in the city give me a deep sense of how people need God. You know, there's a laughter that's full of God, and there's a laughter that's empty of God. And that is the laughter that I heard last night. And it gave me a deep, deep sense of how so many in this city need to be saved. They need to be saved. Jesus came to save them. He came to earth for the purpose of saving them, for the purpose of saving people. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, why did I come? Oh, to give everyone a beautiful example of what a really swell guy is like. That's not what the Bible says, but that's what's taught in many churches today in this city and around the country. Jesus says, this is what he says of his own ministry. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save. That's what he came for, to save that which was lost. The word save, referring to being saved from God's judgment, is used about 35 times in the New Testament. The word salvation, referring to salvation from God's judgment, also used about 35 times in the New Testament. It is a huge issue. Salvation is what the Bible is about. You know, it, it always worries me when I speak with a Christian and I say, are you, um, or, or anybody really who's into the Bible, and they, and they say, well, you know, I'm in the Proverbs. And I say, that's good. How long have you been there? And it's just for months and months and months and months. There's lots of great wisdom in the Proverbs, but there's only a couple about salvation, it says, the, Lord, the name of the Lord is a, long, a strong tower. The righteous will come into it and be safe. But you've got to move out of the, 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 uh, the Proverbs. In fact, you've got to move out of the Psalms. I'm a Psalm junkie. But you've got to go into the life of Jesus Christ on a regular basis. I tell everyone that's willing to listen, you have to get some of the New Testament as a regular daily part of your Bible study or else you will get a skewed view of who God is. The Bible is supremely about how you can be saved. That's that's why the Bible was written. It's a love letter from God to you about how to be saved. To answer the very same question the rich young man asked, what shall I do that I may have inherit eternal life or the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? 
It is an important, it's an important to understand that both of these questions, what shall I do that I may have eternal life and what must I do to be saved, are not just talking about something that takes place in the future after you die. This is an incredible misconception. If you're taking notes, please write this down. It's not just about something that happens um, in the future after you die. Those, uh, the, the questions, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? Are about now. It's about your life with God right now. Getting right with God now. As soon as a person is saved, they have eternal life. Now. The question of salvation. How do you save? How is a person saved? So again, in verse 17 of Mark chapter 10, the very rich young man came running, kneeling, running, and kneeling. He came running and kneeling. So now this man, whatever else we're going to find out about him today, uh, um, he wasn't running away from God like so many are in the world today, like I spent a good part of my life doing. Uh, This man cared a lot about his salvation. I have a question for you. Do you care about your salvation? Do you care about it? Or do you listen to that word and kind of smirk in your spirit? If you do, you're in a dangerous place and you're tremendously deceived. And, 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 and the person who, more than anyone else, who, who would like to tell you the truth is Jesus Christ who left the glory of heaven to tell you how to be saved. The most um, frightening thing about the two women I encountered last night, uh, the most frightening thing to me uh, about the sounds of the city on a weekend night is that there are sounds of people who don't care. They don't care. uh, uh, They don't know what they don't know. They don't know that God is holy and that the Bible says that they are appointed to die once and then comes the judgment, and this judgment will be certain. They don't know that God loves them, that he loves them. He's knocking at the door of their heart and they're shutting them out. They don't know God, they don't care. Is that you this morning? Well, it wasn't this man in Mark chapter 10. He's running. This guy's running. You don't see a lot of very rich people running. (laughs) because they're very rich. They don't have to. They already got it. Why run? This guy's running. His soul is trembling. He's worried about eternity. He's worried about his relationship with God. And he says, good teacher, what shall I do that I may have eternal life? Verse 18, let's continue. Jesus' response is this. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. Now, please don't read this as if to say that Jesus is making a statement that he, Jesus, is not God. You would have to ignore the rest of the Bible to conclude that's what he is saying. One commentator put it like this, and I'm just going to summarize. Jesus' response here, again, where he says, why do you call me good? There's only one person who is good, and that is God. Uh, One commentator puts it like this, young man, you've called me good. 
Consider what language that you're using. Good. Good is the title which belongs to God. You have now given it to me. Do you really mean it? Do you really mean that I'm God? That's the way to read this verse. So Jesus continues answering the uh, rich young man's question in verse 19. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and, and your mother. Verse 20. And he, the very rich young man, answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Very importantly, remember the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three Gospels, the, what's called the Synoptic Gospels, these stories are all in all three. It's good to read all three of them side by side. One of the things that we learn from Matthew uh, is um, Matthew's account is this. The young man said to Jesus, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? What is still, something still missing in, in his life? So here you have, we learn something astonishing, but it's so very true. Here's a man who, to the best of his ability, kept God's commandments. He grew up in whatever. He grew up in a very religious home. He grew up going to church. You know, he came out of the womb with a Bible in his hand, whatever. You know, that, that kind of home. And, 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 and here's a man who from his youth kept the commandment, and yet his soul is not at rest. It says right here, what do I still lack? Because there's something missing in my life. He's kept the commandments, but he's still running to Jesus. He's still kneeling down before him. And even after Jesus tell him, tells him to obey the commandments, he says, well, I, 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 what do I lack? He knows it. He knows that something is missing. Verse 21, Jesus said, looking at him, It says he loved him. One of the great things, by the way, about the book of Mark that I've come to appreciate so much is the little detail. This little detail, and so he loved him, it's not in Matthew or Luke. But man, it, it, it really, really makes the story here. It's comforting. Very, very comforting to me. It says Jesus loved him. And he said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. So we learn here that even a person who obeys the law, who lives a good life, a moral life, a law-abiding life, that that person is no closer to God than a person who is on the ground drunk in the city of Boston at midnight. No closer to God at all, whatsoever. Both of them can be as miserable as the other. Both are, of them are lacking what every human being who has ever lived has needed for life. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the bread of life, the living water, the good shepherd, the light of the world, the wonderful counselor, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the way, the truth, and the life. They're both missing that. 
Without Jesus Christ, it is impossible for a human soul to have rest. Whether the human soul is doing everything it can try to, 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 to be bad, or they're trying everything they can to be good. They're both miserable. Because they were both created for God. You, Calvary Chapel, you need Jesus Christ. You need him. You need Jesus Christ. Every single one of you in this room, you need Jesus Christ. Notice how it says in verse 21, Jesus looking at him loved him. We come to church on Sunday mornings to get to know Jesus Christ in a way that we've never known him before. Each Sunday, even if you've come to church for 40 years, you come to church to encounter God in a way that you've never encountered him before. And sometimes it's the reminder of something you've already seen 372 times, but it just comes to life. And here we learn that Jesus Christ loved you prior to you getting right with him. I will tell you what is so, I, t I will tell you what messed up thinking about Jesus Christ, messed up thinking about Jesus Christ is. Here's messed up thinking about Jesus Christ. I need to do something in order for Jesus Christ to love me. That's messed up thinking. This guy is, this rich young ruler is, really, he has a divided heart, and we'll see that in a moment. He doesn't have to do anything for Jesus Christ to love him. Just as Jesus Christ loved him. And this guy's got, we're going to see it in a minute. He's all, he's twist, twisted up in a pretzel, his understanding of who God is. But Jesus loved him. He loved you before you did anything whatsoever to get right with him, it says. So Jesus Christ, that's who Jesus Christ is. In verse 21, let's continue. Or, or let's just, uh, again, it says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come. Take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now throughout history, there have been those who take these verses to mean that in order to be saved, you have to give away everything you have to the poor. Some of you may need to do that. That may, me, that may be what Jesus Christ is telling you. Imagine the thought in the United States of America. Never would a loving God ask someone to do that. It did right here. And he has asked many people throughout history to do it. But you can't read the rest of the Bible and come to that conclusion. Peter, the apostle Peter, at this time, at the time of the, the right here in Mark, owned a house. He didn't sell it. The Old Testament and the New Testament, um, they're followers of God who are wealthy, and even Jesus' own disciples, again, uh, uh, didn't sell everything they had. So what is he saying here? 
If you're taking notes, listen, he's saying the same thing as he did in his very first sermon. What's it, what was his very first sermon? Someone shout it out. What? Louder. Repent and what? Repent and, wow, you, so many of you got that right. Jesus' first sermon, Mark chapter 1, verse 14, repent, there it is, and believe the gospel. And he's really, he's just saying the same thing to this man. This man has what? A divided heart. He's got a divided heart. He loves God, but he also loves his money. And God does not allow divided hearts into his kingdom. He doesn't allow divided hearts into his kingdom. Or another way of saying it, Revelation 3.20 says, God knocks on the door of every man's heart, every woman's heart. He doesn't enter and share space with anything or anyone. Only an undivided heart is saved. Only someone completely 100% surrendered to the will of God will ever go to heaven, will ever have life, eternal life in him. Every one of you who comes to Jesus for salvation, Jesus will do the same thing as he does here with this rich man, very rich man. He will identify that thing which is causing your heart to be divided and he will ask you to let it go. Now, some of you, it's, it's, the, it's the standard fare, wh whatever. Lying, stealing, drinking, drugs, sexual morality, and our obsession with making money. You can't be saved if you are holding on to these things. Impossible. Lying, stealing, drinking, drugs, sexual immorality, and our obsession with making money. With others, um, what causes a divided heart is an ideology that is contrary to the Bible. I think that I and everyone else has the right to be married to whoever I want, regardless of what sex they are. We saw that last with, with uh, Patty Height. You cannot hold on to a human ideology and enter the kingdom of God and be saved. I think every religion should be a pathway to heaven. No one is gonna be able to enter the kingdom of God with that ideology. That's a divided heart. Family. Do you know how many family, do you know how many times in human history Jesus Christ has said to someone who came to him running and even kneeling, uh, how, how do I be saved? And he said, you have to leave your family. And they walked away sorrowful. I tell you, I admire the Jews that I have met that have come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Because from their family's standpoint, it's a complete betrayer. In the Orthodox community, they have a funeral for them. Muslims who come to Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't change the terms. Oh, you're a Muslim. I, I, you know, I, I get a bend a little. No. You have to leave your family. The wonderful, wonderful testimony of the thousands, 
hundreds and thousands of Muslims that have left their family, that have been willing to forsake and leave their entire family. Friends, if you come to Jesus Christ, you know what that means. Your friends, or at least the approval of your friends. You have to leave it. You have to leave it all behind. Jesus Christ does not change the terms with anyone. No one with a divided heart will ever enter the kingdom of God. You know, some of you are reading the, uh, the Finney book. We have about 30 people reading a biography, autobiography of Charles Finney. And uh, he had, there's just some fascinating things. It's a 440-page book. Uh, and we're taking our time reading it, the different book clubs. I, I recommend it to everyone. But he, he brings up some, uh, thing, some things a couple times uh, in the book that sometimes like the craziest, silliest, stupidest things in the world will keep, some out of, keep someone out of the kingdom of God. And, and those of you who, who read the book, you may remember uh, the story, but there's a, just some little thing keeping your heart divided. He gives a, a few examples. I think there was some woman in the book, she just had a super expensive hat. And, and th that's all she had. But man, when she put that hat on, um, um, she put it on and it divided her heart. It gave her a sense of superiority over everyone around her. Uh, and, and she didn't want to part with that sense of superiority. And, and, and the Lord was um, telling her, you got to give up that hat. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but it can. Be, that's how petty and, 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 and silly human beings we can be. So bonded, to, uh, so much in bondage to sin that something as little as a, a you know, a real shiny expensive pair of boots will keep us out of heaven and in hell uh, in torment forever Amen. that's how blinded and, and and deceitful that sin can be that's a wonderful in the book though the woman tosses her hat i mean uh, and 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 and, she, and there's just like this crazy radical change because of just getting rid of a hat yeah and, and i see this sometimes um the silliest things, sometimes it's hair. I'm sorry to get really close to your heart, but um, like in guys, long hair. And, and, and hey, I used to have real long hair. If you don't believe me, I have a picture in my wallet. I, I had, I, I'm, into, I'm partial with long hair and guys because to me, different is better. I'm just one of those people. But there's a certain type of guy that his long hair becomes so part of his identity that if Jesus Christ asked him, look, you get, a, you, you get a part with your hair and follow me, the answer would be no. Women too, whatever, you know, a certain kind of dress or shoe or thing. Jesus does not allow someone with a divided heart into the kingdom of God. And sometimes the silliest things will keep someone out. I'm going to hold on to this thing. I'm going to hold on to this hair. I'm, I'm sure God will understand. I'm sure he will. No. Cast it out. You know, we saw a couple weeks ago in our study of 
verse 15 of this chapter, where it says, Surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by, by no means enter it. And I think the thing that was stressed in that message was the gospel is so simple. If a child doesn't get it, you're not explaining it right. If you put your trust, if a man or woman or child puts their trust in the life and death and resurrection of the Son of God, they're saved. Forever. It's just so simple. However, Calvary Chapel, don't confuse simple for easy. Now, I, 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 I see this mistake all the time. From time to time, I will hear someone sharing uh, uh, the, the, the gospel of salvation, and they say something like, it's really, really, it's easy. No, it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. Consider what Jesus says in Luke chapter 13, verse 24. He says, strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say, will try to enter and, and will not be able. Anyone know, what that, the, anyone know what the Greek word is for strive? Wow, I will be impressed. Josh, you know, what is it? What? See, he got it right. He got it right. Agonizo, from which we get the word agonize. Agonize to enter the narrow gate. It's hard getting saved. You know why? Because we, no one ever gets saved without giving up something super important. We are idolaters. We came into the world as idolater, and we all have an idol that needs to be cast out, and that's really hard. And sometimes it takes agonizing to get rid of something to get rid of an idol and say, yes, Jesus, it's all about you now. My life is all about you. Next verse, can we have that? Matthew eleven twelve. and from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, but it says this, and the violent take it by force. There's a parallel verse in the book of Luke, and they both mean the same thing. There, there's like a violent process to become saved. There's a violent process. It's like, but what am I going to do about my family? Or what am I going to do about the media who thinks I'm a fool? What, are, what am I going to do about uh, the fact that, uh, you know, in this political season, everyone's going to think I'm some right-wing, anti-vax, anti-face mask Trump lover. I, I can't do that. And you're going to have to agonize through it and say, look, I don't care what they think of me. I am going to give my life to Jesus Christ. It's an agonizo. It's, a, it's, it's, it's violently just taking salvation by storm is really um, it, it, it is what it's about. But I tell you, pride one of the, one of the uh, Proverbs that's wonderful is this. Pride is an abomination to the Lord. It's an abomination. And you know why? Uh, abomination, by the way, is an exceedingly great sin. Don't let anyone ever tell you that all sins are the same. They're not. All sins will keep, any sin will keep someone out of heaven. But there are some that are called an abomination, an exceedingly great sin. That's, an, that's the definition of abomination. 
And why is it such an abomination to, to God? Pride. Because it keeps thousands, millions, hundreds of millions out of heaven, out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that God desires every man, every woman to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. But oh, how our, our pride blocks the way. The violent take it by force. Salvation. The gospel, it's simple. It's not easy. It has been said how fierce the enemies that stand between us and heaven. Oh yeah, that's true. Every person who is saved prior to their salvation, they're, they're in the crossfires of a mighty, mighty cosmic battle between heaven and hell. Jesus says the violent take it by force. Those who agonize, and God gives the grace. Someone was in the prayer meeting this morning quoting Jeremiah 19. You will seek God. You will, you, will, you, will, you will seek him and find him when you search for him with all your heart. And that searching, it's an agonizing process many times. So again, let's go back to the text. It says here, um, in, let's continue in the text here. It says that this man was sad when he heard Jesus say this, when he says, sell whatever you have. And in verse 23, and Jesus, and, and, and it says Jesus, it says he went away. He was sad at this word and went away sorrowful. I mean, it's an incredibly intense scene, right? I mean, you got a hand of this guy. He was, he wanted to be saved. He came running and kneeling. But he goes away walking slowly. So Jesus looked around, verse 23, and said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of heaven. There is something about riches that is incredibly seductive. Just the fascination that man, you and me, have with money. Because, you know, you, you, you walk into a department store, and if you have, a real, if you have an Armani suit that's worth $3,000, you get your, a lot of people's attention. You walk in with a tank top, You'll be ignored. And, and, and when you have a lot of money, you're very rich. You get, used to, you, you get used to a certain thing. There's something incredibly seductive about a lot of money. And that's why we're commanded to tithe, by the way, give the first fruits of our income. Because if we don't, our hearts will harden. That's what money does. That's what money does. And so um, he goes, how hard it is um, for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of, of heaven. Verse 24, uh, it says, and the disciples were astonished at his words. I mean, Abraham was rich. What, what are you talking about, Jesus? Ab Abraham was exceedingly wealthy. So was, so was King David. Actually, many people in the Old Testament who were followers of God. And they're astonished at his words. But Jesus answered them again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Now, important, please listen. Many of your Bibles don't have those words for those who trust in riches. If you have the NIV, the ESV, the NSV, most commentators 
do not include that in the translation. So for example, the New Living Translation says this. Uh, do we have that, Caillou? It says, this amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. No mention of trusting in riches. This is like anybody. Anybody. <laughs> so this is consistent with his, his statement, you need to agonize, to strive to enter the kingdom of God. He said to them again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. Most Bible translations, that is what it says. And so, um, again, it's the same thing. It's this process of, of, of having to, to, to grapple um, with, this, uh, with this, you know, giving up this thing in our life that's causing us a, a divided heart. I just had a wonderful conversation with someone um, a, a few nights ago with, uh, who had been addicted to drugs for a very long time, <clears throat> and, uh, and, and he, he knew that he had to get rid of it, and he got rid of it for a while, but then he, uh, he, he found some drugs in his car, and, and there was just a great back and forth, but after a while, he just said, no, I can't do this, and he threw the drugs into the fire. That's an agonizing moment if you've ever been addicted to drugs or pornography or whatever it is that is keeping a divided heart from, from the kingdom of God, but that's the process that the Bible talks about. Verse 25, he says it's easier, and then he goes back to talking about the rich. Uh, he says it's really, it's hard for anyone, verse 24, to enter the kingdom of God, but he goes back to talking about the rich. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, that means what it says. It's literally it's speaking literally there. You know what the eye of a needle is with a little thread, and you can't fit a camel through that. And some people have tried to water down this verse and say, oh, there was some gate in, uh, in Jerusalem that was really short and the camels had to go down. That's nonsense. We know it's nonsense by what he um, says in verse 27. Let's read verse 26 first. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible. It's impossible for a camel to get through an eye on a needle. With men it is impossible. Did you hear that, Calvary Chapel? With men it is impossible. I mean, that's an amazing statement there. Circle it, please. We are so sin-sick. We are so sin-soaked. We are so blind to God. We are so deaf to God. Our minds are darkened to God. We're so rebellious in our heart. On the outside, we give lip service to God, but on the inside, we reserve the right to our own way. We're so incredibly lost. Jesus says right here, it's impossible. Salvation is impossible with man. But then he says, praise the Lord, but not with God, for with God, all things are possible. So I'd like the worship team to come up at this time. God made possible what is impossible to man by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to live for you, to die for you, and to raise from the dead for you. That's what he did. 
If you've been asked to pray also, if you could come up at this time, you know, it's... uh, I love how direct Jesus speaks to my heart in passages like these. I do want to make one thing clear in case there's any confusion from the message today. Your salvation is a single transaction one that you make one time, and once you make it with God, it's secure forever. It's secure forever. But it's... It is an agonizing process often getting there. One of the sisters on on our evangelism team that goes out on Saturdays came back and said she just was not comfortable with someone who said they wanted to be saved because it was just clear to her that that it'll just be a prayer. It's that there was something that this woman was clearly holding back. She hadn't completed the, the agonizing process of saying, okay, yes, God, I give you everything, even that thing. If you have a that thing in your life that you would like to be prayed over just for the grace of God, for you to cast out that thing. Come up and ask for prayer. Please don't say, oh, surely God understands that I have that thing. Don't do it. He didn't, notice here, he didn't protest with when this man walked away. God is not like that. He's a perfect gentleman. If you have a that thing in your life, or if there's anything else that has stirred in your heart during this time. Some kind of business that you want to do with the Lord. Sometimes it does take coming up before people and humbling yourself. See, that's what the world never does. But as I said, this stuff is simple, but it's not easy. And sometimes it is humbling yourself and standing before all people and, 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 and acknowledging before everyone that you need God and you need his help. If you need prayer, please come up. When you stand at this time, I'm going to pray and then we'll worship and pray. Father, I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Thanking you. Lord, for the cross. Lord, I, Lord Jesus, I, I, I think of what this man, he was just so incredibly ripped off by walking away because you say so clearly in your word, John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it to the fullest. You said, soon before you went to the cross, you said to your disciples, 
twice in case they didn't hear it the first time you said, I've shared all these things with you so that you may have my joy. And then you went off and you prayed to the Father that we would receive your joy. Lord, nothing is worth. Nothing can substitute for you. For being with you. For following with you. For having you in our life. For the love that you lavish on us. Your word says, by, in your presence there's fullness of pleasures forevermore. Help us, Lord. We are so easily deceived. Keep our eyes on you. just the, your goodness that you that you you loved us before we ever did a single thing to be made right with you it says that you looked upon this man and you loved him that's your heart lord we we don't know about love like that that's not how men love us we got to do something for a man or woman to love us but you love us before Lord, we do anything. You say, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, enemies, you, you love us. That's how you love. I pray, Lord, you'd help us now in worship and you'd help us now in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.